When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Powerhouse Fitness Newcastle, your home fitness store where you can save up to 50% off home fitness equipment in their biggest ever sale. Visit your local Newcastle store on Percy Street or visit www.powerhouse-fitness.co.uk. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove today, joined by Newcastle United editor Mark Douglas and NUFC writer Chris Woff, who is looking quite tired after a manic trip down to Sellers Park yesterday. Had fun on the trains. Uh, midnight last night, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah, it was a very long one on the way back. Trained for five hours or so, and there wasn't any air conditioning in our carriage, and I'm sure a lot of other Newcastle, a lot of Newcastle fans themselves were stuck in the havoc that it was on the way down and the way back up yesterday so it wasn't very good at all I mean that's a whole different debate that we'll get into about the scheduling of games for early Sunday afternoon and whatnot. but yeah it was a, a very long weekend at the end of a very long week as well So There you go the highlight of a football journalist but a point at Sellers Park yesterday I think in the build up you said a point wouldn't be the worst thing to come away, away with but given the results over the weekend three points would have been would have been what Rafa Benitez wanted yeah, going into both games over the last week, I said that Newcastle really needed four points and they didn't manage to get that, they managed to get two. And once they're drawn against Burnley, I, th- I think a point was always going to be a good result at Crystal Palace. Results, Some results went against them on Saturday, some went for them. And uh, they went into yesterday's game just out of the relegation zone on goal difference alone. So it's really important that they didn't lose that game, they couldn't, they would have potentially been in even deeper trouble uh, and actually for the first half they played well and really should have been further than 1-0 up Kennedy was excellent again going forward and uh, Newcastle weren't clinical which we've said so many times this season uh, but their form is good, is actually reasonable in terms of they're not getting beaten very often the only team to have beaten them in the last month and a bit uh, in the league is Man City the only other team to beat them is Chelsea in the Cup um, they've only lost one of the last Seven games, I think it is seven or eight. Are we saying it is seven? Uh, I think it's seven on the last seven. Check, yeah. um, but they've only won tw- two of those as well, and they've only won one of the last six. So it's converting those draws into wins. That's what they need to do between now and the end of the season. They're not getting hammered very often. They're always in games, but it's in terms of finishing teams off. They're struggling to do. If you look at the wider picture of things, taking a point against one of your relegation rivals away from home is a positive, but really they need to start winning games because if you look the time between when they faced Crystal Palace in October and beat them and yesterday's game they would be bottom of the Premier League for that period of time that's because they're not winning enough games they went through the long losing run where they drew one of nine and lost the other eight and they've just won two few games they haven't won at St James's Park since that match and sooner rather than later they need to start winning games and saying that as I say I think it was a decent enough point but now they need to build on that and going forward and they're going to have to have to start looking to take wins off some of the big boys. Mark, what more can Rafa Benitez 
do because obviously during the week he's on the training pitch with the, with the strikers and he's working with them but obviously when that whistle goes on a match day he can't really he can't put the ball in the back of the net for the likes of Dwight Gale Joss Lou. Dwight Gale was ineffective yesterday really against mm-hmm. his old side barely mentioned what more can Rafa Benitez do? Well I think potentially there's quite a lot more that he can do in the next the next few games um, because they're coming up against some good sides in the next few weeks and Newcastle need to pull a few rabbits out of the hat because they haven't taken enough points off the teams in the top half. And, you know, for all that, and, and you know, I don't, I don't think we really need to preface anything we say about Rafa with, with, with saying that we're behind him and we think that, you know, he's the best man for the job. Of course we do. But this is a point, I think, at which um, we see really how good a manager he is for Newcastle United in the current situation with this group of players because they've got... Um, some teams in the top half and they need to start taking some points off them they've not played many of the really big sides at home so far they've played Manchester City and Liverpool are the two um, that I can recall uh, They obviously Man City was them. different kind of game Spurs as well yeah which I actually think against Spurs they were set up quite nicely to get something out of that game um, Liverpool they did take something out of the game Man City they were close but I think the approach was very controversial and although most Newcastle fans you know their reflexes to support Rafa I think you know you could ask questions about the way that they set up in that game um, because other teams are playing against the teams at the top and getting some points out of them. Swansea have beaten Chelsea and Arsenal. Bournemouth have beaten Chelsea. Look, they're better teams. I think are um, you know Bournemouth are a better side. I think West Brom, are, you know, in Palace are better teams as well. But Newcastle are going to have to start getting some wins from those teams. So we may be going to have to see Rafa set up in a different way. Um, he's going to have to do something different because they haven't taken enough points from the teams in the top half of the, the table and those are the teams that they have to play for the rest of the season. Um, they've got some some of their fellow strugglers at home and I think those are those are games they're going to have to win as well. But Newcastle, are going to, if they're going to edge out of the relegations and they're going to have to take points from the teams that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to. In terms of what happened yesterday, I think I think you, you, you can already see the evolution a little bit of of Newcastle based on what they did in January. Kennedy, I think, was excellent for 45 minutes. I thought it was a really good away day performance for Newcastle. Um, and it sort of went to pop a little bit in the second half. They haven't got the resources. You know, they haven't got the resources. They didn't have a striker on the bench yesterday. But look, and, and again, you know, I support Rafa completely. But it's Rafa who's taken the decision to allow Mitrovic to go out on loan and Adam Armstrong to go out on loan. And although we say, look, he wouldn't use Mitrovic, well, that's his decision. He hasn't wanted to integrate Mitrovic into the team. So as much as I think, you know, he has been shafted, royally shafted this season in a lot of ways, Rafa, he's also making big decisions himself. And we need to see those decisions come to fruition as they have done in the two years that he's he's been at Newcastle. You know, all the calls he's made have either worked or got very close to working. I think they were very close to staying up uh, when they were a shambles in 2015. They obviously went up as champions last year and they are currently on track to stay up. So that's brilliant. But, you know, as much as I uh, love Rafa and think that his way that he does things is brilliant, this is the time now, the next few weeks, when we really see just how good he is. And, you know, um, as we've said, sorry, the last thing, as we said, the goal, you know, the goal difference at the moment looks as if it could be crucial. And... um, Rafa's smart with that as well and I think he will get Newcastle to stay up by any means necessary it might not be the most beautiful thing to watch but um, as yesterday wasn't but it was a, it was a good point against a very good Palestine they haven't lost at home since August and they've got obviously good players Townsend 
Benteke. But playing devil, devil's advocate, is there a time in the season where Benitez has kind of now got to maybe go for it? We saw Brighton go out against West Ham, play really well, and certain teams are starting to really think, well, we'll just go for those three points. Whereas Benitez always at the moment is just seeming to be a bit defensive, a bit cautious. With the games running out, do you think there's a point in the season where he goes, well, actually, I've got to go for these three points? I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that. I hear a lot of people saying it, and don't get me wrong, I think that the way Benitez sets up, it is almost a lot of the time we're going to get a draw here minimum and then build from there. But against Burnley first half, Newcastle should have had several, should have had two or three goals and they should have been out of sight. Should have scored a penalty as well, but that's another issue we've already discussed. Against Crystal Palace first half, I didn't say Newcastle were negative. They actually went at Palace out wide. They they really had a goal. And away from home, I don't think they have been negative. At Stoke, they had a right goal. At West Ham, they did as well. Against the teams who they think they can exploit, who will leave gaps, I don't think he has been negative. I I think that against teams like Brighton, against teams like Burnley to a certain extent, who are going to be as organised as Newcastle, Benitez is reluctant to be as open as he is against the teams who he thinks can be exploited. And I understand why that is, because... Burnley are so organised, Brighton are so organised, if you do that to them, you're not going to break them down in that way and you risk them picking you off at the other end. So I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that. I don't think we're at the stage yet where you need to, to go out and go gung on. Newcastle are actually outside of the relegation zone, as Mark says. At the moment, if the season ended, Newcastle will stay in the Premier League. Um, they're only a couple of points behind being up to 11th. It's so tight still down there and they're going to have to start winning games, there's no doubt about it, but I, I think that four wins will be enough from this position. I don't see it being 40 points to keep you up. 40 points are guaranteed. But I think 36, 37 is probably going to be enough because yeah. everyone's taking points off each other. As, as much as some results went against Newcastle at the weekend, that was because all the teams were playing each other who were in the bottom half of the table. So I don't think he has been overly negative. Look, he's, he's, he's never going to really just send out a team who's going to try and... T- tear forward from the first minute of a game that's not how he is that's not how he would be I don't think even if Newcastle had a really good squad that's just not the way he is he likes organisation he likes structure but I just don't I don't get this idea that, he, that he's overtly negative I don't, first half yesterday definitely wasn't Newcastle completely lost their way in the second half and just had to hang on for a point but I don't think it was a case of him being overly negative The one thing that I would say that I don't think was really picked up on yesterday was that during the losing run Newcastle were losing games like yesterday. They were losing games like um, Swansea and Brighton as well because they weren't savvy. They, they didn't know how to close a game out. And I thought yesterday was a, was a real last 20 minutes was we're not going to win this game. We're not going to go for it because a point will do. A point will, is better than nothing. They, they've paid the price for in that bad run for going gung-ho against Bournemouth and Leicester as well. Um, those two games where Newcastle really were caught up in the, the mood a little bit. And, you know, you forget these little things matter in seasons. And I think Rafa has learned from that and counselled the team that, look, just have to scrap it out. And yesterday was just scrapping it out. Again, you judge the result based on what they do in the next few weeks. And, and I do think, you know, there's maybe scope for them to be a little bit different against the top four when they play at home. But we haven't really seen to them play too many teams of the top teams at home. So Saturday will be interesting because um, I don't think they'll play like they do against Manchester City because Manchester United have more uh, weaknesses, especially away from home. Manchester United's form, well, lately it's been pretty good, but they have 
been vulnerable away from home uh, in some games. You know, we've seen they drew against Leicester, didn't they? They, they lost to Huddersfield. They, you know, they're not brilliant away from home as they are at home. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens at the weekend. But like Chris said, you know, there was all this momentum behind West Brom that we heard about, and they lost to Southampton at home, which is a game they should have won. Sturridge was half baked by all accounts, and and that was partly you know, because West Brom. As Pardew has said since he's come in, we're going to have a right go. And yeah. Southampton just picked them off at times. Southampton exploited the weaknesses. Where West Brom should be strong when you look at the squad is that they're back four. They have out and out defenders in there. You, 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 most teams would want Johnny Evans. He'd walk into just about any other team in the bottom half of the Premier League. And they were really vulnerable defensively because it was too much of going forward. It's the short blanket, as, as Benitez says. And, and maybe people are sick of hearing it. I mean, we hear it every week just about in press conferences. and can get trailed out a bit more but this is that's what he believes in he believes in organisation and he believes in making sure you, you control what you can and then it's about having those flair players that's the difference between Newcastle and Crystal Palace if, if Benitez had the likes of Wilfried Zaha to be able to call upon hopefully now with Kennedy who's shown a bit then you can have that organisation plus someone who can do something a bit different in the final third that's been Newcastle's problem over the last six weeks it's not that they've been overtly negative it's that they haven't got the players up front who can just make can make the difference. Wilfried Zaha, I think, would get in just about any team outside the top six. I don't think he's quite top level because his decision making at the end isn't right all the time. He's still raw in that sense, even though he's in his mid twenties. But he is just the way he tore Newcastle apart yesterday. Mm. He do, he will do it to most teams. Townsend was off form yesterday, but we know he can do it. Ben Teke, I mean, is, is an enigma because you never know what you're going to get from him. But again, you get into most teams there. They have that attacking talent. Newcastle don't. Hopefully, Samani's going to provide something different. Hopefully, Kennedy's going to keep giving what he's given as well. I, I look at it when you talk about Rafa and the impact that he's had. If you gave Rafa um, of the bottom t- 10 teams, let's say it's a 10 team relegation fight at the moment, if you gave Rafa um, all of those other 10 teams, would they be doing better than they are now with the resources that they have? And I think probably Everton, yes. Um, Watford, yes, they've got some good players. Uh, Palace, definitely. West Brom, yes. Um, you know, all of those teams down there, I think he'd be doing better than what they've got. And we've been hearing all season. Well, if you gave Rafa Brighton's team or Huddersfield's team, you know, they didn't. Well, Huddersfield are now second to bo- second bottom. Brighton, everybody was making a big thing about what well, Brighton have won at the weekend, but they beat West Ham, who Newcastle have beaten twice, who are just a mess. West Ham, like in defensively, terms, they're sharp. Oh, I mean, West Ham are just. For the money spent on that team, I think, was it last week they were saying they've got the sixth highest wage bill in the division, yeah. and they are just hopeless. You know, they are hopeless. I mean, Moyes is the people have made a big thing about Moyes going in and making an impact. Well, he has, but they, to an extent. I mean, they haven't looked that great. Um, so, I do think that Rafa's resources are, are way below what other teams have got. Palace are Palace are better players. So you see, I do you think? Newcastle's squad is the worst in the league? No, it's not the worst in the league, but it's it's you know man for man, I would say it's probably in the bottom four or five. I think I think Jamie Carragher on Sky yesterday said when the team sheet comes in, you look at it and think that is a team that should be fighting fighting relegation, and it's hard to disagree with what he said there because it is, isn't it? I mean, um, Newcastle have had better teams in 2015, 2008 that went down, better individual players than they've got now. They haven't got anybody who can make a difference. But well, they have now. I think in Kennedy, and we hope that Slimani is going to be another person because, you know, attacking-wise, they've just got nobody capable of making an impact. I mean, Gale was non-existent yesterday, partly because the system I don't think helps. But um, 
you know, they need somebody to come in and make an impact. I think Slomani will. Fingers crossed. We'll get on to TV pundits in just a bit because Cargo wrote a uh, column, I think it was in the Times or the Telegraph, Telegraph, yeah. Telegraph which split uh, opinion on social media. So we will get on to the likes of Red Knapp and Cargo in just a side. But continuing on in the Palace game, Carl Darlow, um, obviously... Pulled off a few good saves, penalty, got a hand to it. We'll start with the penalty itself, Chris. Uh, was it a penalty, in your opinion, Clark on Benteke? I think it was a penalty, but I understand where Rafa's coming from when he's saying it was soft. and that. But Rafa himself even admitted if it was the other way around, I'd probably be sitting here saying that's a penalty and the, the opposition would be saying it isn't. And he said that it's an argument that goes both ways. I see where people are saying that you'd have five or six a game if it happens, but... And yes, Benteke probably was pushing Clark as well, but Clark just made it a bit too obvious. It was quite clear that he pulled him. That's what the linesman saw. And Shelby did the same later on and could easily have risked giving away another penalty. So Newcastle didn't even learn the lesson as well. Um, so it was just a silly thing to do. I don't think he needed to do it because Benteke wasn't getting the ball. It was going behind him anyway. And it just the momentum just shifted completely then. The penalty itself, in terms of Darlow trying to save it, I think when he looks back, he will be disappointed. He does well to get there, but I think... I mean, when he first saved it, actually, I then looked down at my laptop and I had to look back up because I heard the cheer because I thought it had hit the post and gone out. And everyone on the ground seemed to. There was a second delay before it actually went in. Now, I know that everyone's looking back to Wednesday as well and Carl Darlow's own goal, which a few of my uh, colleagues in the media... I remember having a discussion with them on both Wednesday night and Friday where they were trying to blame Carl Darlow for it. I'm personally of a different view with that one. I don't think a lot of keepers would have made the initial save. And I also think it comes back at him so quickly. He's already off balance, which you can argue maybe he shouldn't be off balance. But he's already off balance and then he puts it into his own net. And I just think, I thought that was unfortunate. I think that he got a lot of criticism, which was unfair for that. But yesterday was a case of he made some excellent saves first half. Uh, that one which deflected and then Benteke should have put in was a brilliant save to readjust and save that was excellent and he made another couple in the first half and then the second half but you can see the nervousness in him and I think he realises now that he, it, he's a dead man walking in terms of time in the net he knows that the Martin Dubravka has been brought in and he's probably going to start next weekend I think the only reason he didn't start yesterday was because he only came in on Wednesday and Benitez wants that communication with his defence and he hasn't had that time to train with them and I feel a bit sorry for Darlow in some ways, but yesterday, the second half, the communication with the defence went completely. There was a couple of times where he called for the ball, the cells called for the ball, and they fumbled it. And he just looks like a man who knows he's, he's going to be taken out of the team. Rob Elliott tweeted before the game, I was say that. The game as well. That Elliott tweet was. He, he tweeted, didn't he, say, good luck to the lads? Yeah. Somebody tweeted him back saying, you're not fit. And he made a point of tweeting, no, I am fit. Yeah. And, you know. I thought that was telling because Rob Elliott is a good guy, good good goalkeeper. I don't think he did a hell of a lot wrong. But Rafa, it was the first... You had some quotes from Jack Colback over the weekend. We've heard from Tim Krul. Rafa can be really ruthless. And I think the goalkeeping situation, he hasn't managed to sort out yet. But this Dubravka purchase, I think, is a very deliberate purchase, I think, to, to, to say this is what I want from now on. Um, and yeah Darlow I mean you can tell Darlow was asked about it in post-match by yeah, Sky I asked him the other day as well um, and he, he just basically ignored the question about are you, you know, do, was it good for you to have a good performance with the Bradford there and he just ignored it 
because I think he knows what's coming. The thing is, he is a good shot stopper, but he has got he has got that ability to make a mistake. We saw it last season in the championship where he was he was praised for quite a good save. I think uh, it was against Rotherham, and it was I think it was a, a bit of a fluky save. And but but he has got that ability to make a mistake, and it's unfortunate that it just seems to happen every now and then. He does, but and I also think that when you know that the manager doesn't really have any faith in you, mm. no matter how you perform, he doesn't have any faith in you, that will just create self-doubt as well. I think that all round he's a, he's a good goalkeeper. I think he can be a Premier League goalkeeper for a team who really put faith in him. I think the same with Rob Elliott. I don't think they're top level by any stretch. I don't think they're top half Premier League goalkeepers, but I think they are good goalkeeper certainly championship level but I think a bit above that but when the manager doesn't have faith in you and it quite clearly doesn't have faith in you then that just creates uncertainty and it creates uncertainty with the defence and there's that miscommunication and that's what one of the reasons I think Dubravka has been targeted a lot of fans might not know a lot about him but speaking to people about him and Rafa's been quite clear is that what he likes to do is communicate with his defence and he, he also likes to play with the ball and he likes to start attacks and be there as almost an extra sweeper and I think that's what Rafa wants from his keeper. That's what he would have got from Caballero. That's what he's had in the past with Reina. He wants him to be his eyes and ears at the back, almost like a quarterback looking forward and seeing the whole pitch in front of him. And in theory, that's what Dubravka is going to bring. Um, it's going to be a big test for him, though, because he's not played in England and he's going to get thrown in there. Hopefully, he succeeds and does well, but I very much expect him to start next weekend. But, but that kind of communication is yeah. key, isn't it? Because if you're a centre-back, you want that noise behind you. You want that man shouting, you know, it's... Being authoritative, and in respect to uh, Darlow and, and Elliot, that seems to be lacking. Well, I mean, the, the, yeah, I mean that's the problem with, with with Darlow, isn't it? I mean, you know, Chris said he, you know, good shot stopper. I mean, it, let's not forget against Stoke, that save was, you know, one of the best of the season in a season of very very good saves. There's some really good goalkeepers in the Premier League. Um, I've, I also throw back to Nottingham Forest, where he, he was absolutely outstanding last season. Elliot at Bournemouth in the season that went down was that was one of the best goalkeeper performances I've ever seen. Um, so the, these guys are good goalkeepers, but but there's obviously something in that Rafa wants to see, and I think it's 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 being commanding. I think it's also being able to play from the back. You saw Newcastle last yesterday give the ball away a lot, gave the ball away an awful lot in the second half, put pressure on themselves. It wasn't just outfield players; that's also. The goalkeeper, not yeah, you know. Well, I, did it I mean, times, yeah. the, the, there was a point, wasn't there, where he the ball was played back to him. And he, he, I mean, it was a low shot, wasn't it? That just went straight to their man in the final third. And I think just all things like that, that. I think Rafa just needs to see better feet. You know, if if the ball needs to be played out and and hit, you know, somewhere where it's not going to be in trouble anymore. And I think you saw that yesterday. So it's like you know the, the Hollywood saves. I mean, I always think of like the the good goalkeepers at Newcastle down the years, Shakey and was absolutely outstanding but um, Steve Harper possibly in the season they went up and then the season they were they stayed in the league was um, you know probably didn't make as many Hollywood saves but he was kind of, he's an efficient goalkeeper Tim Krul was the same I mean Tim Krul made some fantastic saves but what you what you see from the, those really good goalkeepers is that they don't necessarily always need to make the brilliant saves because they're in the right positions and I think the problem with Darlow is that sometimes it is just a case of he makes the great saves because he's not always in the right positions and you know I don't know too much about the technique and the technical aspects of goalkeeping to be honest but Rafa does I think that's why he, he wants to change the goalkeeper and um, you know I feel for Darlow because I don't think he's done an awful lot wrong I think he 
he would have been sold and sent somewhere else to go and play first team football at the start of the season if everything had gone right. You said the other week he admitted that he was he'd gone to middle space supporting them to Gary Monk at the time he was close to going. And I will say one thing for Carl Dolo and Rob Elliott, both of the two of them, is that they always front up. There's players who won't yeah. speak about one. Carl Dolo's got no goal on Wednesday. As soon as I asked him to speak, no hesitation. Great mentality, yeah. He, yeah. He, he will always front up. Rob Elliott's the same fronts up no matter what the situation and I think the two of them have been very important for the mentality within that squad and the whole ethos that was built last year those two are crucial to it and are still crucial and I think that, that Rafa recognises that um, even though seemingly he doesn't quite think that, that either of them are the goalkeeper he wants or he envisages needing in goal uh, Moving on to someone who's really improved in the Rafa Benitez Gets a lot of stick from certain quarters. Paul Dummett, but since his return from injury, he is he has improved. He, his defensive line is much better than maybe it has been in previous seasons. I mean, that's down to, to Rafa and the coaching uh, staff. Yes, but it's also down to Paul Dummett's hard work as well. Um, I think that if you were to to look at who is the most consistent performer over the last six weeks since Paul Dummett's come back from fitness, I think you'd have more Army up there and Paul Dummett and every single week he, he's, he's solid and you know exactly what he's going to get yes he's not the most flashy going forward but Newcastle have Yedlin or Mankio on the other side to go and do that they need that common presence that Paul Dummett is you know that he isn't going to make many mistakes you know he's going to be in the right position defensively and Benitez trusts him because he knows that he's going to do exactly what he's told both dis- both in terms of game plan wise and just discipline wise and he, he it's very important that relationship between him, Clark, and Lascelles. I think that is that is key, and he's someone who, who has worked on his game. He ha- he looks leaner than he did in the past. He has added a yard of pace. He does even try to get forward when he can, and there's been a few times where he's got decent crosses in the box. But he can also play that extra centre back role if you play in three at the back. And I, I think that that Raf has worked hard with him, but Paul Dummett himself worked very hard. We spoke to him the other week, and he was talking about how Alan Pardew had told him he would never be good enough, um, and that that was almost like a Right, I'm going to prove you wrong, sort of thing. He went to Gateshead, he went up to St Mirren, and he, he, he got there the hard way by doing the hard yards. Some players won't do that, but but he's done that and he's earned his chance, and now he's he's reaping the rewards and he continues to work as hard and, and keep striving to get better. And I think that he deserves all the praise that comes his way. I mean, one element you could say maybe his game needs to improve on is just a bit more confidence on the ball sometimes when he gets the ball. He doesn't look all that confident. Well, yeah, but not everybody can be a ball playing. You know, ball playing left back. I mean, Newcastle have got two full backs who'd love to get forward in, in Mankio and Yedlin. And, um, you know, I'd say Yedlin was not brilliant yesterday, and Mankio um, has not been brilliant since he came, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you know, like, I, I, th- I think, you know, I'm, ha- I'm happy for him just to do it, especially when he's there with, um, you know, he's there with Kennedy now on the left, who's going to get the chance to roam. And Kennedy's, you know, when he gets a bit fitter and he gets more match fit, I think he'll be up and down that wing really 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 well and that and you know you, you let's not forget you had um you know some Newcastle's left-hand side when Honus Gutierrez and Jose Enrique were playing down there that was a real kind of mixture of craft and graft and I think that's that's what you're going to get from Newcastle down the left-hand side it's been a weak spot that a lot of teams have identified with Newcastle over the course of this season they've gone for Newcastle down either flank and um, I don't think he, any team is finding it easy, easier to do that since since Dummett came back, um, you know, and, and I, I think that if you're wanting him to be swinging balls in, I mean, he can, he can do that, you know, he, is, he isn't too bad at that, but I think if you want Paul Dummett to be a ball-playing 
sort of left back who gets forward. It's, he's just not going to do that. But I think if you, you know, I think eventually he will move into centre back and he will become a centre back. Well, that was always the plan long term for for Paul Dummer. Um and I think he would be able to do that as well. I think he's a he's a good player. You know, as as long as as long as we're not expecting him to be something that he's not, he'll he'll be fine. You know, I think if if he'd been signed from uh, from another team and he maybe hadn't done his growing up at St James's Park, he'd done it somewhere else. And he came to Newcastle, then then he would maybe be a little bit more highly rated than he is. But he's had to do he's had to learn his learn his game. You know, as he's growing up at Newcastle and that championship season at the start of it, um, it was a hard season for him. You know, he he was being you know being given a, a, the runaround by some champ, by some left backs by some left wingers sorry in the championship having ended the relegation season quite well for Newcastle he then had a really tough first half of the season in the championship um, but then I thought finished last season really well and is, is doing okay this season as well um, you know he, he, he's a he's what he is you know and that's the thing I think it's like the day army thing isn't it, it it's almost like we, we now have a yearning to make instant judgments with players and I think that um, the truth is, you know, sometimes in between, it's like Marino was, you know, the best midfielder that Newcastle had when he first came in because he was playing like that. But he's having a bit of a dip in form now because he's getting a bit more tired and stuff. And it, it, But we don't judge, the, like, our mentality in football now is not to judge players over the course of the season. We judge them in 20, 30-minute blocks of how they play because that's our society now and that's how we judge football. Um, but the truth is that, you know, Somebody like Dummett is a good addition. He's a good, you know. Every time they've, every time it's looked like he's available for transfer, you've had four or five Premier League teams come in and want to buy him. You know, I go back to the Mitrovic thing. I don't like talking about it. He's been available for the best part of eighteen months, and the only teams that have come in for him, been prepared to pay for him, were Championship teams. Premier League team were willing to pay half of what he was worth, and elect who had him before, parts on Belgrade. Whereas when Dummett was available, you had Palace, Burnley, West Ham, um, there's a few other teams as well. West Brom. West Brom. All right, they're not the top Premier League teams, but they all they all would have paid what Newcastle were, would have asked for him if the manager hadn't said, no, I want to keep him. Just to pick up on the Mordi Army point, the one thing, I, since Mordi Army has been Newcastle, the reason that I've always wanted to see him in the midfield, it hasn't quite happened for him, is... Without more Diarmo in there, Newcastle lack any sort of power and physicality. That front five can be really small and, and, and lightweight. Benitez, traditionally, throughout all the teams he's ever had, has always had a really athletic, powerful midfielder in there. He had the other Sissoko when he was at Valencia and also for a period uh, at Liverpool. He's had these players in the past who give you real power and, and, and go forward ball. And Diarmo, technically... There's issues there, and he's, he's, he's by no means the most gifted footballer, but he's found a bit of form in the last few weeks, and what he does do is he disrupts so well, and Newcastle can then power forward from that, and that that's the reason I really like Kennedy as well, is it's not just that he's got pace and can take a man on, because there's a few players you can see around the Premier League do that, but what I think is unique about Kennedy, which is very few players are, is he's powerful as well, and the way he just swatted off Martin Kelly and a few of the other players yesterday, that's the difference he brings to Newcastle, he can go direct, or he can go out wide, and they just look a bit, a bit bigger, a bit, a bit scarier for the opposition, for want of a better term. And I think that's what Slomani will bring as well. It's putting the fear in the opposition team. And I think that with a, a midfield of, of Diarmi on form, and then 
Kennedy out on the left and Slomani up front, I think that, that that'll put more of a fear factor in the other team thinking, right, we need to actually deal what Newcastle are going to offer here, which I don't think has always been the case with Hosselu or Gale up front this season. Uh, just briefly, uh, Murphy, a lot of people asking why Benitez maybe keeps overlooking him. I think yesterday when the team news was announced, um, social media was awash with you know, where's Murphy's performed really well over the last six weeks or so. Um, is it just a case of just rotating players, do you think? Yeah, I've been a little bit surprised that he hasn't had a bit more game time over the last couple of weeks. But I suppose Kennedy's come in and brought on that left wing berth and then Atu played the other day, Richie started yesterday. So he's got options to try and recycle it and change things. Um, maybe it's just because Murphy played a lot of football over the last few weeks compared to what he had done before. As you said, it, it, it's rest and, and changing things. And, and tactically, there may have been a reason why he didn't think Murphy was right. If he had Kennedy on the left, maybe he wanted more of a a hard working right winger someone like Richie who isn't necessarily going to take teams on um, but yeah I think he has been a little bit harshly done by but this is what Benitez wants he wants competition for places and Kendi brings that I thought it was interesting when Benitez was asked about Aaron's on, on Friday well he actually wasn't actually about Aaron's he was asked about somebody else but he just mentioned Aaron's and he said um, that when Aaron's was there the other three as in Richie Atsu and Murphy didn't necessarily feel the pressure from someone else that they were going to be in this so that three of them knew they were going to be rotating in the team at the first it was just the two of them and then Murphy got in and then he said now Kennedy's there they've all had to think wake up it was the term he used we have to get in the team and I think that that says a lot about maybe what he thinks Aaron's offers at the moment I know a lot of people are excited by him but clearly Benitez doesn't think he's quite Premier League level at this moment in time and he wants Kennedy to come in and really drive up the form of the other wingers as well. So that's what he always wants, competition for places. And Murphy's just going to have to bide his time a little bit. But what we have seen in the last few weeks has been positive. So hopefully we'll see that again soon. Now just a quick message from our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by Powerhouse Fitness Newcastle. Your home fitness store where you can save up to 50% off home fitness equipment and their biggest ever sale. No longer will you need to feel the unnerving sensation of another man's body heat on your saddle, sheepishly move weight under the gaze of the local beefcake, or put up with that atrocious gym music. You can support the podcast by visiting the Newcastle Powerhouse Fitness Store on Percy Street, or their website at www.powerhouse-fitness.co.uk, where right now you can save hundreds of pounds on treadmills, exercise bikes, weight, nutrition and home gym packages. We'll speak about the Manchester United game in just a time. But just briefly on TV pundits, obviously Jamie Carragher has said a lot over the last the last mm-hmm. few months. A lot, a few on social media questioning why he continues to get the airtime. But I'd say working with Rafa Benitez, he knows what it's yeah. like to work under him. And his piece in the in the Telegraph today was, in my opinion, it was it was spot on. If you're mm-hmm. if you're Daniel Sturridge and you're looking at coming Newcastle, where it is a bit. Disorganized. There isn't that unity between maybe the board and, and the manager. You can you can maybe understand why he's asking that question. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Sky uh, is kind of in the sights of a lot of Newcastle fans at the moment because of, you know, I think I think because of the relationship between the TV station or certain people at the TV station and Mike Ashley um, because he's done. He did the big interview before the start of the season with with Sky that you know was was a kind of soft. A soft interview, really, in in a lot of ways, it wasn't what Newcastle fans would have wanted to see. Um, so Sky are getting, you know, a bit of that, a bit of that backlash. I know their local reporters were getting a bit of it on Twitter, which I thought was really unfair um, because, you know, that that's not their job. Their job at Sky, they're not, they're not like we are in the in the written media. They don't get the airtime to pontificate about the way that the clubs run. You know, 
uh, Keith Downey, who's the, the guy, this guy who, who's a really good guy, who does yeah, know the club really well and has good contacts, knows what's going on, but he doesn't get 20 minutes as we do. We don't get, we get an hour and a half on the podcast. He, he doesn't get that in front of Sky to, um, to talk about the issues behind what's going on. He just gets the chance to, to sort of say what's going on. That's his job. He's a TV reporter. The pundits that they, they use, I think Jamie Carragher is, is flawless actually in the way that he dissects what's going on at Newcastle. He, he might always say what we want him to say, but he knows Rafa really well. I don't think Rafa always thinks that Jamie Carragher's right, um, but I think that, that Jamie Carragher doesn't always think that Rafa's right. Um, but I thought that what he said yesterday was 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 correct. Um, I think that he, you know he's speaking as somebody looking from the outside in. I think that he, you know you can tell when he did his piece in the Telegraph. He does his homework when he talks. And that's all you can ever ask for any pundit is that they do their homework before they speak about Newcastle United. Jamie Carragher um, has watched a load of Newcastle games this year. He's been at St James's Park. He speaks. To, I know that Carragher speaks to journalists who work on the Northeast Patch. He does his homework, so I don't have a problem with him at all in any way. What I have a problem with, as I said, is the pundits who speak about Newcastle United without doing their homework. It's like. People were going, going, having a go at Dennis Wise the other week. And I, while I don't think that Dennis Wise does his homework, I think Dennis Wise brings something to the debate because he knows Mike Ashley. The problem when you've got Dennis Wise there doing the debate the other week, as he did, was you had a host who, you know, in Jeff Shreves, who's a very good journalist, but he didn't really, I don't think, want to go too much into the fan, you know, protesting because I don't think Dennis Wise knows too much about what's going on there. But then you had Craig Bellamy who talked... With, or with what he thought was authority about what was happening in Newcastle, but it wasn't right. And, and that's the problem, I think, that sometimes you have at Sky. And there was, you know, it was, you had Jamie Redknapp, who, I mean, you know, Jamie Redknapp, I don't think is particularly brilliant. I was going to ask you about when he said yes, he said that Rafa needs to kind of stop complaining and just, just get on with it. Yeah, but what I don't think he understood there was that actually, I don't think Rafa has complained during January. I think Rafa, Rafa actually, you know, Chris was at the press conference on Friday. Rafa was very conciliatory. Rafa knew that the takeover wasn't going to happen. All he was doing was asking, look, we need the extra players. So I don't think he complained. Um, and he doesn't complain, to say to stop complaining now, well, he doesn't complain when it isn't transfer window. He always says, yeah. these are the players I've got. Yeah. What's the point in, in airing yeah. dirty laundry in public? He did the same. He was trying to be goaded almost on Friday by some of the journalists into saying, and he was saying, look, my future is now we have the players we have, mm. everything else can wait, there will be an internal debate about transfers. And so I don't understand what point Jamie Redknapp was trying to make, what Benitez was going to do that anyway, mm. so it's just it was a strange thing to do. The thing I found really interesting about what Carragher said, and the, I thought hit the nail on the head, and as Mark said, I don't think a lot of Newcastle fans are wanting to hear it, we up here know how brilliant the club it is and, and, and the potential it has, but if you're a player, a foreign player in particular, coming to the Premier League at the moment, why, why why Newcastle United, other than Rafa Benitez being there and the 52,000 grand, why would you come to Newcastle? They can't offer more money than anyone else. That is a fact, as, as we well know. They can't. They certainly can't rival West Brom. There was certainly a lot of one of the reasons that, that Daniel Sturridge ended up was West Brom was money, not because Newcastle weren't willing to pay his wages and whatnot, but because of, of other factors in around it, agents and, and whatnot. Geographically, it's not London and it's not Manchester. Is 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 the places where you can if you if you say if you're if you're uh, at West Ham or if you're at Crystal Palace you can you can sell the club to someone by saying you can come and live in London at Newcastle you can't do that you're 300 miles away 
and also the dysfunction at the club. He's right in that sense that Newcastle, it's a cyclical problem at the moment whereby other than Rafa Benitez and the lure of the crowd, there isn't a reason to, to come to the club and that, that's the issue with Mike Ashley being there. That's why there needs to be change. And I, all he did was, was lay down, I think, which are facts. I may not be facts that people want to hear, but that is the situation that Newcastle find themselves yeah. in. It's like you've, it's like having a family, isn't it? You know, you, you'll fight with your, it, 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 you'll fight with your brother and say, oh, you know, or your, or your sister or whatever, and you'll say like, oh god, they're a nightmare. But if somebody else yeah. from the outside comes in and says, oh, your brother's a bit of a nightmare, you, you, you know, you, oh, what are you talking about? And it's a bit like that at the moment. In that, uh, what Carragher was saying yesterday was not a hell of a lot different from what a lot of Newcastle fans are saying, but because it's somebody perceived to be outside the club who. who Hasn't been. They don't think it's necessarily been strong enough on Ashley. Um, then it's not seen as that. But I, I actually think Carragher has consistently been uh, has understood the issues at Newcastle better than virtually anybody else. And I think the same goes for you know a lot of the other. There's quite a few pundits actually who who are that way. And I think you know it, it's difficult at the moment because you know Sky are getting a lot of stick for. Um, the way that they're covering things and the way that they're doing things, but you know, Sky Sky have a different role in the media that, that we do. You know, they're not. It's not a. It's not a, a, a vehicle for, you know, the, for, for that kind of thing. They they don't cover. The, I mean, they do cover the protests. You know, you have Jeff Stelling. I think is really good. They do have people within the organisation who are really good fan centric stuff, but they. The agenda is different on Sky Sports, so you can't hammer them for for, for not leading a campaign against Mike Ashley or or cover. You know, I understand that they say that the banner wasn't covered that well, but it it, it, it has it's shaped the debate that Sky were having yesterday. Um, and you know, look, Newcastle United are not the biggest talking point in the country at the moment. Um, they are a bit, they're always a big talking point, but they're not the biggest talking point in the country at the moment. So, you know, it. It's good in a way that we're that they're having those debates and that they're talking about it and stuff. But you know, I, I think you've got to lay off the, especially the local guys because they're not. You know, look, we know them and they're not and they're really not shields for Newcastle United or at all. you know. Look, I think they have a closer relationship with the club because the club, Mike actually likes Sky because they pay for coverage and that's what he's always wanted to see the media do because he thinks well we get a load we get a load of. Um, airtime and a load of um, you know revenue out of the football club by covering the football club and he doesn't understand why the Chronicle doesn't pay for coverage because he thinks well we make a business out of covering Newcastle United so why don't we pay to do that um, and you know that's his attitude and he can't be shaken out of that so when he sees Sky paying millions and millions of pounds and basically um, funding the uh, funding the whole thing um he, he will happily give them. Uh, he will happily give them. You know, them an interview. And that's what. That's where it is. I thought Henry Winter was swatting as well over the weekend. He was on BBC Five Live. Without the fans, the club is nothing. And then I think had Jonathan Walters opposite him, who was saying, "Well, until the fans stop going, nothing's going to change." And it was. It seemed to be only Winter that, that kind of got it. Yeah. Got it. Well, I mean, I sat with the uh, the other journalists at the True Faith Press Forum um, over the. On Thursday, and um, you know, I thought that there was a lot of debate in there about what do we actually do? Do we stop going? Um, and there were two opposing viewpoints. Luke Edwards quite rightly said that you know, after the boycott, Newcastle then were then one of the biggest net spenders in Europe, so they did listen to the message. But George was good. George Cookin was saying, look, but you should not have to go to the the ground. And um, look, 
my opinion on it is as long as there's anger, as long as there's energy there, that's what matters. You're seeing at Sunderland at the moment, and you saw at Newcastle for a while, the danger of apathy, and that's the big issue, I think, that, that you know, you're playing with fire when people stop, stop going because they're not bothered anymore. They don't stop going because they're trying to prove a point, and I think that's the, the danger for Newcastle United. I don't think we're there yet. Um, I mean, Henry Winter's a guy who spends a lot of time up here and, you know, does a lot of work with the Bobby Robson Foundation. A good guy, you know, and I think all you're asking for with anybody who talks about Newcastle United, you know, you can anybody can have their view on Newcastle United and, and you know, they should, of course they do, you know. But what I think annoys me and probably annoys a few other people is when uh, people pontificate without really coming up here. We're, we're a long way up in the north. Right, we're a long way up in the north. Where it's inconvenient to get up here if you live in London. It's not easy to come to to Newcastle and and, and spend a bit of time up here and find out what's going on. Um, and you know, you don't get a lot of the, the big guys, the chief sports writers at, at the national newspapers, don't do it very often. You know, Martin Samuel was uh, at the Daily Mail, spent a lot of time recently talking about Newcastle. And you know, I'm not telling tales after school, but the guy's not up here. You know, he's a great writer, brilliant journalist, writes about West Ham and all these other clubs with massive authority, but he's not up here very often. And that's the problem, I think, when, with the perception sometimes of Newcastle United is very easy. Um, it's very easy to kind of come up with a perception based on um, what you, you know, what you don't, what you don't know. It's like Adrian Durham at Talksport gets a lot of stick and sort of engages in that. And I know that you know, but. Like Adrian, I'll give him credit. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with him. And he does try to. Like, I know this is not going to be popular, but he. Does, but honestly, I've had conversations with me. Find out what's going on in Newcastle. And yeah, he might not be the biggest fan of Benitez, but I don't have a problem with him. Okay, he is trying to engage people and he's trying to be a bit provocative and get people to talk and stuff. But I think he does. He does pay attention to what's going on in Newcastle. The problem I have with anybody talking about Newcastle is when they don't know. They don't know, and I think you see from Henry Winter, you see from other people like Daniel Taylor at the Guardian wrote a really good column the other week about Newcastle and Staveley and Dan, David Conn and all of these people. I think when you read it, you can tell who actually pays some attention and does their homework on Newcastle. If I went on TV and talked about the problems at Aston Villa, well, obviously not problems, they're doing really well, but the problems were at West Ham at the moment, right? I don't know what's going on at West Ham. I pick up the odd bit about what's going on by reading, but I don't know because I'm not doing the homework and stuff. So I can't, I can have a little dig occasionally onto it, but I don't know what's going on at West Ham. Um, and I think that's the problem is that everybody has to have an opinion on everything now because that's how we live our lives. And that's where I think some of the frustration with Sky comes from because they are in a they do have opinions, they have people on who have opinions and they have to have an opinion about Newcastle United because they're on the debate and they're asking for opinions on nine different clubs and some people like Carragher do their homework on all of these clubs and some people don't. We'll get on to the My Night game in just a second. You mentioned the press form there, brilliant night, lots of money raised for the, yep. the food bank um, and I know you kind of had to, uh, there was a question about Mike Ashley and the coverage mm. that we produced and there's one again on Twitter for anyone yep. who maybe hasn't listened or saw the tweets on the forum. So Harry Keogh asks, why don't we put any pressure on Mike Ashley for his, for Harry's perceived gross mismanagement and assets to stripping of United? Well, I think um, we do put, we do put pressure on Mike Ashley. I think, you know, our front page on Tuesday uh, was, or Wednesday morning, sorry, was get your finger out, you know, we're trying to put a bit of, 
a bit of pressure, a bit of a reminder of to Newcastle of where they're, you know, of what the mood was like in Newcastle. We tried to capture the mood through the front pages. Um, I think we've done a lot of front pages that have, that, you know, I think we've actually done two that are explicitly called for Mike Ashley to, to sell up. We, we did one that, you know, that I, I wasn't, I wasn't in, that called for Lee Charney to, to actually resign, I think. So, you know, I don't think it's true that we haven't called for change from Mike Ashley and for Lee Charney. I don't think that's true at all. Um, my response the other day was, look, is there anything that we can do to make Newcastle United better or to try and get a change of ownership, which I think everybody, including Mike Ashley himself, is probably on record as saying they want. If there is anything and if there's a kind of way of being able to channel some frustration and negativity um, through our newspaper, we are more than happy to do that and we will do that as well, just as we will always give the club um, a right to reply or even if they want to do something to try and you know, we will give them that. In terms of running a full-on campaign against Mike Ashley and, and doing that at the moment, I don't know where the, whether there's a massive amount of appetite for that from fans at the moment in terms of really training every single piece of artillery there is in the city against Mike Ashley. I, don't, I haven't seen that yet. And you see Rafa Benitez talking about wanting unity for the players. I know that if there is protests again, it will have an impact on the team, massive impact on the team. And so I don't think we're at that stage yet. So I understand what Harry's saying. And maybe there is some, some things we can do and, and ways that we can go down that route if it, if it is required. But as long as Rafa's there, I think our role is to kind of support the team and to be, and to be as, you know, to, to provide a vehicle for being positive about the football club at the moment, whilst also highlighting the mismanagement that, that, or some of the problems that there are at the club. We've got an open request to Lee Charnley. Um, look, I emailed another request to the club on Friday to say, look, I understand you won't want to talk about some things, but can you talk, is there somebody you can talk to us about what happened in January and what the thinking was and where the club's vision is to move forward? And, um, you know, at the moment, we've not, we've not managed to secure that interview, but it's there and we want to, we feel like our job is to kind of throw a light on what's going on in Newcastle to, to inform and, you know, maybe be as positive about things as, as we can be. But um, in terms of a full-on campaign, I'm not seeing that out there at the moment. And it's very easy on social media to, to surmise that everybody wants that. Um, but I'm not seeing it at the moment. And that's all I can say. Look, the banner was on the front page of the journal, the Chronicle. Um, you know, we have an open line of communication with fans groups, for better, for worse. You know, we did a lot of positive stuff with Gallagher's flags as well. And um, you know, I'm not saying that it won't happen. And obviously, the edit it's the editor's decision, and I'm not the editor, um, because United editor, and we can kind of have those conversations. But it's difficult at the moment. I think there's a, there's, you know, people want the team to stay in the Premier League and then deal with it from there because there's a lot of unknowns at the moment including the takeover situation you know that's a complete unknown as well um, I was at the press forum and George Corkin said from speaking to Amanda Staveley anticipated another bid so we might not have to have a go at Mike Ashley if she comes in with a bid that, that gets him out of the club so a couple more questions um, from our listeners Jamie on Twitter asks Chris is callback's admission of the new sport of callback after the Fulham Nottingham Forest game over the weekend's um, is, is his admission that he was treated as nothing more than a number a worrying insight into how Rafa treats certain players and could that affect the morale of the team 
Well, Mark made the point earlier that Rafa is ruthless, and I don't think there's any doubt of that. We got a small hint of it from a Tim Krull interview in the Times uh, about a month, month and a half ago, where Krull said that he didn't think he was treated by, with respect by Rafa um, when he left the club, but that was a part of a longer interview. I went to the, the Forest Fulham game on Saturday and spoke to Carl back afterwards, and he was quite forthcoming in saying that, and I think he's been waiting quite a while to say it, that, that he doesn't feel like he's been treated well. He believes that he kept on talking about that he was in the squad of 25 but never got near the team. He was sent to train with the reserves uh, and had to be the under-23s at the academy. Other players had that, like Henri Savé, but they were able to return and be reintegrated. Why was it different for him? And he, he doesn't feel like he's been given a, a fair crack of the whip in that respect. Rafa may argue differently, um, and the point where I will ask Rafa about it and, and see what he says. Um, he said early in the season that Callback knew he had to go. He knew he couldn't be part of the, the squad and he had to go. So he will he will see it differently. Tim Crow was the same. He said that, that he made it quite clear that he didn't have a future at the club. Um, but he is ruthless and uh, there's no doubt about that. And I think that uh, Callback, who was a vital member of the, of the championship winning team last year, he played well in excess of 50% of the games. Uh, rotated in that midfield three and it was an important voice in there as well he clearly doesn't like the way it's ended or he does still have 18 months left on his contract um, and Rafa just clearly doesn't see him having a future here maybe you can say in one sense that, that that's on a, on a human personal level maybe that is there is something that you can say that, that that maybe isn't what you'd like to see but at the same time Rafa is a very successful manager if Newcastle stay up this season, then I don't think anyone's going to question how he's man managed the players. Some won't be happy with it, as they clearly aren't. We've already mentioned this situation with the goalkeepers, and they clearly see that the, the, the manager doesn't 100% trust them, and seemingly Callback and Krull don't believe they got shown respect. But as I say, Rafa may argue differently, and I will, I will put it to him to see what he made of those comments from Callback and. and, and and how he feels about about the situation himself. Fantastic. Just one final question before we finish up with the United preview. Um, if no one comes in for a bid, if Manchester doesn't come back with a bid or no other interested parties, um, United stay up. Do you think Rafael stay? If he does stay, um, do you think he can work with Ashley after the past year? That's from Barry Rogan on, on Twitter. I think he worked quite well with Ashley in January. In a, in a sense, I think that the you know the, the lines of communication reopened again. Um, and it's funny, I, I'm not sure that any of the managers who work with Ashley you know, don't like Mike Ashley personally. I think that what they find difficult with Mike Ashley is the, the way that he allows the club to operate. And when you get to Mike Ashley directly, I think things do tend to happen a little bit. And, but Mike Ashley makes himself, in my opinion, deliberately unavailable when some of the difficult questions, or he certainly won't, you know, he certainly won't, put himself front and centre when he thinks this hard when he thinks he doesn't want to take the decisions that the manager wants him to take so for example in the summer there was no communication between Rafa and Ashley and that's you know Rafa wasn't going to force the issue because he's your boss at the end of the day and you know okay I'll deal with what I've got but this January suddenly the lines of communication were reopened again so while I think that Rafa would be um, maybe a little bit unsure about whether he'd get what he was promised he did get what he was promised in January in terms of when Mike Ashley came back into the picture and said, we will back you. He did get backed, but maybe not 
to the extent that he that he wanted. Um, I think if they stay up, I, I said this at the forum the other day. I think if, I think Rafa probably will stay for the extra year if they stay up, because and Rafa has been clear on this quite a few times is that with another year of Premier League TV money, they will have a bigger budget in next next year. They'll have more of a kind of they'll have much more money because they've got the TV money that they've got because they've made a fortune from being on TV they've already made more money than they did last season by long chalk they'll get the prize money they'll get everything else and they'll know that they've got that coming again for another year so they will have a much bigger budget in the summer will Rafa walk away from that when there's probably not another job there for him that he'll, that he'll want as much he'll get a completely free hand as he's had all along to pick the players that he wants nobody's bringing players in above his head that he doesn't want um, so I'd be surprised if they go down I think he's going to go and I think that'll change I think takeover wise I think he, you know there is obviously a really close connection or there was a close connection between him and the PCP Stavely people they made a big thing about it they were very clear that that's who they wanted but I think there's been a little bit of a distancing in the last month because I think Rafa you know knew that he had to work with Ashley he said I knew three weeks ago that the stable deal wasn't going to go through in time for January so he's worked with Mike Ashley so I think if they stay up I think look there'll be a lot of noises about him leaving because he will he's clever isn't he and there's been a lot of noises about him leaving um, up to now although there wasn't any in January by the way um, he wasn't threatening to leave and never said he was going to leave and always said that he'd stay for the whole season um, regardless of what happened he's got another year left on his contract and I think what he'd probably do my take on it judging from his mood as it is at the moment is he will stay for another year um, do his another season with a bit more money see if he can move Newcastle forward a little bit um, and then leave at the end of that season when he'll have done his contract he's a man of integrity um, the contract is is a difficult one for Rafa to get out. There was a suggestion at the forum that maybe this clause disappears in the final year of his contract. So something we've got to check check up, I think, on that. Um, I think we, I think we'll know if that's the case because and parties the are, to a fear and then he yeah. have to pay some money back to Ashley. If yeah. He left. Well, I think the deal is that whoever it, he won't necessarily have to pay money back, but whoever then comes in for him would have to pay the clause. So he necessarily wouldn't be personally liable, yeah. but it would prevent him from working for a year unless somebody comes in and pays Newcastle six million. Just as if he if he sacked um, Newcastle, would have to pay him the clause. I think that was how it was structured. I think, without knowing exactly what it is, but um, but if it isn't the case and the clause is still there, I think he'll stay for another year. I think he likes it here. I think you know. I think he enjoys the challenge to an extent. I don't think he enjoys being made to go up against some really good managers with lesser resources but you know even if they'd have got the players in that we wanted in the summer it was going to be tough this season whatever I think you know they might have had a bit more of a chance to, they might have been a few points better off but maybe not massively better off maybe six points better off which would have had them 10th um, which is where he was looking to be this season when he was looking to be about 10th um, so I, I I mean you know, a lot of a lot of water can go under the bridge between now and the end of the season. They could get relegated, and then then it doesn't matter. But I still think he will stay. I don't know what Chris Chris spends more time in his company than I do, but I think he'll do another year. I think it would take a big offer for him to want to go, or it would take 
Mike Ashley to tell him that he just isn't going to get what he wants and by that I mean as Mark says he isn't going to at least have the potential to, to go forward I think if it was going to be the case if he's going to be in exactly the same situation as he is, as he is this year without the promise of TV money so that he can't make the squad better then he doesn't want to go through what he's had to go through this year which is it's, it's, it's going to be nip and tuck touch and go right through the end of the season as long as he believes he can have a crack at getting into that top 10 and maybe even the top 8 I think he would stay. The thing that's almost the paradox about about Mike Ashley is, as Mark said, is he, he's he's an autocratic leader, but he's almost like a semi-absent autocratic leader. So he says he isn't in control of everything, but we know for a fact that he is because nothing happens until he's around. Yet he does disappear off. So that's the culture he has within the club. There's almost a, I don't know if it's a fear or the the. There's just a block there which stops things from happening unless he's around, and and I think that's what Benitez finds frustrating. That long periods of time go by where nothing happens. He he's speaking to those above him, speaking to Lee Charlie, and and just nothing comes back because they can't act or unable to act or they're waiting for a reply from Ashley himself. And I, I think that he finds that frustrating. So he wants everything to be restructured. When he was asked a question on Friday, he he used said there will be an internal debate at some point was the term he used he said that's not for now he says it won't be made public but there needs to be an internal debate about what happened in January and so he want reassurances but unless unless thing, the conditions that he can work under really change or unless a really tempting offer comes in I think there is now a reasonable chance that he will still be here well, see, What will be interesting as well is that Newcastle this in the transfer window have, have improved but they've done it Within a within a very you know look if they stay up, we might look back at January as frustrating and as terrible as it's been, as actually being you know, Lee Charlie's boxed clever in that respect in that the, you know if they do stay up, they've got two loan players in very inexpensive loan signings. They've got a goalkeeper in for peanuts really. It won't be it won't be a lot. So there's going to be and, and bear in mind they've sold or they've got rid of players in this window probably. Maybe balance it out a little bit in terms of those. Um, at the end of the last window, they sold players who were big earners. So there should be a budget there in the summer. There should be a budget there because I don't think they've spent a lot this season. They've spent a fair amount in this, probably spent everything that they got in, but they haven't spent that much. So there should be a budget there, um, in which case you might see them doing a bit of a Bournemouth and going out and maybe spending 70, 80 million next or you know it, it, for everything that is in terms of signing on fees loan fees all of that kind of stuff and maybe needing to generate a bit of money themselves and Rafa would have to look at that and think well where am I going to go where the fans are all on my side we've done a year in the Premier League we've learned a lot and I've got that kind of a budget um, of course you know Mike Ashley might put the you know tighten the reins again and say I'm not going to let you have that. That money needs to go into the club or that money needs to be spent elsewhere or whatever. But I think that would be how it is. I don't think Mike Ashley is um, deliberately being obstructive. I think he's. I think that the way that he's running it is he's allowing it to run itself to an extent, which means that they're being completely handicapped. And what they needed to do this season was show a bit of ambition, go out quickly, go and get the players and do all of that stuff that we've spoken about before. But I think next summer, with a bit of... You know, they might be able to do it. I don't think they're ever going to be the club that Rafa wants them to be while Mike Ashley's here. That's the problem. But he did, he's quite pragmatic, is Rafa. And, uh, you know, is there anything else there for him out there at the moment? No. We live in hope. On to quickly the Man United game on Sunday. Another one on TV. Um, 
Slomani hopefully will be fit enough to start and he's going to be the key player really isn't he because Newcastle aren't clinical enough in front of goals so he's going to be the one that Rafa Benitez is now looking to to, to grab the goals and get United to safety Yeah I think Newcastle lacked a focal point yesterday I think particularly when things were going wrong they didn't really have that out ball I think Hossley might have provided it if he played not in terms of finishing I'm not saying he would have scored the goals but I think that in terms of in the second half the ball just kept coming back it wasn't sticking there wasn't an alternative to Gale who just it wasn't the sort of game for him where someone like Simone would provide that and hopefully with the likes of Kennedy providing set pieces Shelby's improved again yesterday Yedlin getting forward crossing balls at the box Richie or whoever's on the wing Atsu Murphy Slomani can get on the end of it and score goals and he's going to have to score them quickly because we know he's not going to be involved in more than 11 games or whatever it is Um but I think he can make a difference. What I'm going to be interested to see is what Rafa does in terms of the formation because I've suspected all along, and Benitez has even, has even cited Kennedy's ability to play as a wing-back, I've suspected all along that one of the reasons he wanted Kennedy was A, because of what he's already done, but B, it gives them the tactical versatility to be able to play with three at the back or five at the back against the big boys. And I, I wonder if he's going to do that this weekend against Man United. Paul Dummett would be able to shift in the left, left centre-back position Kennedy left wing back, um, Yedlin right wing back, and Newcastle would, would be able to be a bit, bit of a different proposition. And they've got they're going to have a full week to work on that if he does decide to do that. So I'm really intrigued to see what they do tactically. Kennedy's going to be crucial to whatever they do because he's he's a real outlet, a real out ball, and Slomani is going to be key as well. And I would not be surprised to see him start because yes, he may have had the signs, but Benitez suggested he was close to playing yesterday. It was more confidence in his thigh rather than. The, the fact that it was back again he, it's the same thing he said about Gale in the past whereby you've got to, you've got to have belief in your own muscles clearly Somali wasn't quite there yesterday with a full week I think he will be and I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if he still played the first hour maybe and then came off rather than coming off the bench That's Mark, do you think Newcastle can beat Manchester United? I think they can, yeah I think they can get something from it um, they showed in the first game between the two teams that um, you know the, 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 there's vulnerabilities there I think there's vulnerabilities in every team barring maybe Man City this season um, I mean, there's vulnerability for Man City, but only the very best teams are going to be able to pick at that. Um, you know, Burnley did it a little bit over on on Saturday as well. But I think Manchester United, there is, especially when they go away from home, they, then their away form's not quite as good as their home form. Um, they are the second form team, I think, in the table at the moment. So they're obviously an exceedingly strong side. But I think there'll be a, a good atmosphere there. I think it'll be... Uh, a real sort of barnstorming atmosphere before kickoff, like it was against Liverpool. Um, it won't the nerves and the tension that we have had for the last four or five home games are not going to be there because it's not the same thing, and the, the, the whole build-up will be very different to the last few weeks. And if the results go for them and they're out of the relegation zone come Sunday, which is you know touch and go because they are so close to it at the moment, um, there will be a bit of an atmosphere of let's let's go for it and. You know, so the whole build-up to the game will be different. I think Rafa, I'm really intrigued to see his tactical plan on Saturday. So I just don't know because we haven't had this kind of game at St James's Park really with this the new team and the, the, the different players. Um, we haven't had this kind of game at, at St James's Park all season and we're going to have a few of them, aren't we? We've got yeah. a few of the typical teams coming uh, to Tyneside. So I'm really looking forward to the game, actually. I, I think there's a big chance for Newcastle there. Um, I don't think he'll do with Man City. I don't no. think it will be like that on on Saturday, you know, on Sunday. I, I think maybe if they go two or three behind, it might be a little bit more like right. 
let's because the goal difference Newcastle's goal difference is, is is better than most of the teams down there, and they will and they are thinking like that at the moment. Um, but I'm really looking forward to. It. I have no idea how it's going to go. I think they'll. I think they'll probably lose because Man United are a very good team. Um, but there is a chance there. There is a chance there for Newcastle, and um, you know. I felt like against Chelsea and then they went to that FA Cup game and were really poor but I don't think they were as up for it it was a really no and I, th- I think flat, when I was saying about the three at the back one thing that I find interesting is Kieran Clark we don't know the extent of his knee injury Rafa suggested he'd be alright but it looks like he's going to be touching goal for next weekend Lejeune was back on the bench at the weekend and as much as some fans may not have really liked what they've seen from so far he's a ball playing centre back and Lascelles has been playing the central role when they have done three at the back and he just can't he's not that's not his role because mm. you need the ball the middle centre back to be ball playing centre back so it'll be intriguing to see if he did play three at the back if it was Dummett Lejeune and then Lascelles as the right centre back to see how that would work is, is to be the out ball at the centre back so I think that when Newcastle have played three at the back and I haven't had Lejeune they've, they've struggled for that as well so uh, I'm just really intrigued maybe Rafa won't go three at the back but I think that it would be a, a decent way to try and compensate for the fact that they're going to have to deal with Sanchez, Lukaku you name them. Jose's record at Newcastle is rubbish as well isn't it? This positivity, uh, Martin got to start and go? Yes I think he will. Mark? Um, probably yeah probably with a week with a week of football under his belt given how Barlow played yesterday. And score prediction Chris? 2-2. 2-2 right Mark? I think Man United will win but 2-1 maybe. Newcastle give it a good go. Fantastic. Um, well, there well, that would be fantastic, Andrew. Well, yeah, I mean, fantastic for the whole show. Um, <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't be the right result, of course, Mark. Uh, if you head over to chroniclelive.co.uk, you can keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news. And I do apologise for the mountains of footsteps you've probably heard during that podcast. We are moving office and it's a working newsroom. But yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast, whether that be through iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify or whichever platform you may be listening through. And if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can do so via our social media channels. We're over on Twitter at Chronicle NUFC and on Facebook at the same handle, Chronicle NUFC. We want your questions, your topics, your feedback. So why don't you drop us a line and get in touch?